Eric, in your book, The Story Solution, you claim that you've come up with a completely new paradigm for writing screenplays and novels. And we're curious what that is. Mm. Uh, just a quick word on how it came about first, okay? Um, because I know it's pretty outrageous for a lot of people to be cl for my to be claiming that you know what what new under the sun can there possibly be and all. Um, for for a long time, for years uh, before I became a professor here, while I was still a full time screenwriter, I was teaching at uh, UCLA Extension Writers Program, which is the largest such writing program in the world, and it's really great. Really good people teach there. And it was a way to get out of the house one night a week, you know, uh, out of my room, out of my office. And I was working with people who were really bright and really talented in various and sundry ways. They, you know, great characters, warm, three-dimensional, super dialogue that just kind of crackles and pops. But when they finally turned in their final project at the end of the of the quarter, I guess quarter system there. And I read their scripts. They just laid there. They were flat. The story wasn't happening or going anywhere. They would have three or four events and then try to stretch that out over uh, you know, 110 pages or however the whole screenplay would be. And I gave them the books. We read the books. We went over it, you know, the structure over and over the classic structure and, and, and Joseph Campbell and all of that. And yet when they sat down to write it, it just somehow didn't gel into a concept or command of screen story structure. And screenwriting is screen story structure more than it is anything else, right? So I went looking for, you know, as people do, uh, for patterns. There had to be a way to teach story construction to not to the exclusion of all else but focus only on finding an objective objectified way to teach story construction this is how you build a house board one you know that kind of stuff and I looked at oh, you know hundreds and hundreds of films and uh, yes I began to see a pattern that I hadn't heard anybody talk about before or mentioned before or hadn't read about before. And then I kind of codified it, put it together as a paradigm and cleaned up the questions that it raised kind of stuff. And I kept looking and I be began more and more convinced. And then I did, I, I set out to prove myself wrong. I mean, this I thought was a real important step. So I went back uh, searching through movies that had been hit movies that had, uh, you know, emotionally affected audiences all over the world uh, from pretty far back. I went far back as 1929. Buster Keaton, uh, The General. I don't know if you ever saw it. It was one of his last, if not his last, silent film. Um, it is, you know, something of, of a masterpiece of the silent era. Um, same thing the same beats, the same moment, the same sequences, accomplishing the same stuff. So I codified it and began to teach it in, in, in the grad courses. People were rather cynical about such a thing uh, to begin with. 
But what I found out over a few years uh, of working on codifying it, simplifying it, you know, packaging it in a way that was understandable and useful as a tool, because that's what it is, it's just a tool, a darn good one, useful one too. Um, one by one, I won them all over. And I proved it, yes, it's true. And it was like an interesting experience for all of us. Because, again, it, 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 is, it's, it is about discovery. Now, just let me try this, okay, for just, just a few minutes. <laughs> um, one of the single most important aspects of screenwriting, any long-form narrative, even novel writing too, but just screenwriting in particular, is change. Things, thus everything in the story must keep changing as it flows. It, got, you know, it has to be different five, ten minutes from now than, than it, what the circumstances were previously ten minutes ago. It has to keep changing. And I, I ha came to believe there had to be a pattern of change. Um, and what I discovered was this. This gets a little numeric, you know, but stick with me for this uh, uh, because it's, it's important and I think enormously useful. Uh, three acts, okay, in a, in a screenplay, you've got three acts. First act. In act one, I noticed, there are six sequences following one another that I called, I came to call hero goal sequences. Here's the definition for a hero goal sequence. A hero goal sequence is any two to seven page section of your screenplay in which and through which your hero or heroine pursues one short-term goal, physical short-term goal, only one, as one step toward achieving the overall story goal, right? Just, just that little piece of it. And at the end of that, seven or so, you know, nothing is exact, you know, but seven or so pages, something happened or some discovery is made by this hero that I call fresh news. In other words, they turn up something that was unknown by them and by us, by the audience, about what they are doing that puts an end to that current single goal and offers up a new short-term physical single goal to be pursued in the next step. And that there are six of these hero goal sequences, six little individual pursuits of individual specific goals in the entirety of Act One, and what we call, there's many names for uh, this plot point one, there's the, 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 the first major turning point, uh, that kind of thing. I call it stunning surprise one. When stunning surprise one happens, which ends act one, officially and dramatically ends act one and kicks the hero forward, tumbling head over heel into act two, I call it stunning surprise one because that it should be, I believe, the emotional impact on both the hero and the audience. It needs to be emotional and it needs to be impactful, not abstract. That always happens in hero goal sequence six, always. And it continues. In the first half of the second act, 
there are six more hero goal sequences. And hero goal sequence number 12 always contains the midpoint sequence. That's a separate discussion. The midpoint is a, a fascinating part of movies that work, and it's, it's, it, it's rich and layered with things that go on relative to character growth and relative to the plot being you know bumped up to the next level and all, but it always happens in number 12. In the second half of Act 2, there are six more wonder of wonders. There are six more hero goal sequences, and hero goal sequence 18 always contains Stunning Surprise 2. Not 17, not 19, 18 in every movie that works for audiences. In, every, in other words, every hit movie that you can analyze because it's doing something right, this is the pattern. And then in Act 3, it's the only act where it can vary, where the numbers can vary. And in Act 3, you have between 2 and 5 hero goal sequences. I don't recommend 5. 5 is Good movies have been made with 5, like... Uh, uh, as good as it gets, which happens to be, you know, one of my favorite romantic comedies kind of stuff. It has five hero goal sequences in, in, in rather extended act three. But the audience is getting antsy and it's time to get out by then. I, I, the standard, the average of movies that work is 21, 21 hero goal sequences. 18 for acts one and two, and then another three in act three. This is a way, I know it sounds kind of weird and mathematical at this point, but this is a way of quantifying change. It tells you in advance, this must happen in these few pages. There, it, it also goes beyond that. I mean, people were asking you, well, and what specifically happens in each one of these? Can you nail that down? In a general way, yeah, I do that in the book. You know, I say, well, these things usually happen in hero goal sequence number four, you know, that kind of stuff. But that's up for grabs and up for people to play with. But structurally, the bones are these 20 to 23 hero goal sequences laid out in this exact way, and they don't change.